The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 63. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Hello folks, Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Now that the dry run of Thanksgiving is out of the way, the serious business of Christmas baking can start. If you want to add to your cookie bake some centerpiece-worthy cakes or torts, let Kiko show you the way. Kiko is a pastry chef with courses showing you how to make amazing-looking cakes and torts in your own kitchen. Kiko has plenty of selection, and each comes with a thorough video showing you just what to do, and you can do it. I've checked some of his recipes, and he's got it right, and he teaches it correctly. For Christmas, be the star of the taste buds, or give a subscription as a gift. And just to remind you, Valentine's Day is not too far away. How awesome will you be making a special dessert for your sweetie? Click over to culinarylibertarian.com slash Kiko's Cakes. That's culinarylibertarian.com slash K-E-I-K-O-S-C-A-K-E-S. Or click the banner on the show notes page. Hello, folks. Today's episode is my appearance on Sounds Like Liberty, which is hosted by Nikki P. and his wife, Liz. We talked about some of the basics of finding my way out of the Republican and Democrat rat race, as well as, of course, food and certainly music. There are some not safe for kid moments, but only just a couple. We did have a really good little talk and I enjoyed it and I hope that you will enjoy listening to it. So let's start this out with uh, how did you find your way to liberty how did you find yourself mixed up with this bunch of weirdos that we uh <laughs> we all happen to be now that's an interesting question and i sometimes even ask myself <laughs> uh, to borrow the david bird line how did we get here um i think there were moments even back when I was in high school, I, I graduated in 1983. My stepfather was a realtor. And so we were, he was trying to sell houses in post-Carter Reagan economy, which in Northern Michigan was extremely difficult to do. Mm. Um, he was a child of the Great Depression. And so for whatever the reasons are, his leanings were Republican. And in my little teeny tiny town, there were, like most other places, two choices, Democrat and Republican. I didn't know any different for a long time. Uh, and then sort of went to college and got a job and was married to a stove for 20, 30 years. And I didn't really know there was a world outside of cooking. But started listening to some different people talking about ideas and things, and it all seemed a little, just a little short of quite right. And uh, the fairly recent 
uh, contributions to that were listening to people like Hannity. Yes, I know, I know, I know. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say, like, I, I figured it said itself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I dumped him because he just... I, one of the things I think is interesting about all of those about all those talk show fellows, uh, Rush and Levin and Hannity and Glenn, they all have some access to news that I think most of us don't. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I enjoyed about listening to all of those people was that they seemed to be able to get access to bits of information that I couldn't get access to. Well, I don't know if that's really true or not, but it was a lot easier to turn on a show than go hunting. Mm-hmm. But Sean just got to be too much, just too over the top. Um, I tried Levin for a while, but Levin was the same problem. Just like this is, it's just is is too much rhetoric and not enough content. And I'm not, I, I don't. I, I've tried to think about how did I find Tom Woods, and I honestly don't remember the answer to that. But I started listening uh, about three years ago, and I I found a refreshingness to the show. Because it it was absent all of this hyperbole and the, this this party loyalty, hmm. and that was one of the things that ended up really bothering me about all the talk show hosts was no matter what their affiliation was, these can do no wrong, ours can do no wrong. As well, that's that's just kind of silly to think that that's the case because if you didn't know they were these or ours, they're just people on the street. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, As always, possible. I always liken it to, this is my my personal saying it, is because I'm a D&D kid. I grew up playing nerd games. And I just want everybody using the same rule book. <laughs> like, that's all it is. Yeah, I don't I don't think you get to make up the rules for you and then give different rules to the other players. Like, just, just play the same fucking game. It's, it's ridiculous. But continue. Sorry. Well, I, I think that's true. But I, and, I, well, and that might be... I think that's probably one of the vast frustrations lots of people have without being able to articulate that's the problem. I also think probably there's an expectation that that is how the game is played. And there's a tolerance for a different set of rules and a continuing altering of the rules, we're constantly moving the goalposts. Democrats, I think, get accused of that more often than the Republicans, but that's probably not really true. I just think it happens to be the party that is not in the White House is going to be called out for the exact same behaviors as the other party. It gets it gets crazy and silly really fast. <clears throat> Sorry, really really fast. It does. So, crazy. <laughs> um, so. You know, Time Woods leads to it, it leads to economics, which I had I had no knowledge of. I I didn't know who Keynes was, and didn't know that there's Chicago School and London School, and Austria. Say, what? <laughs> what? What is all this stuff? This is mm-hmm. a crazy new world. I've never heard of this. Um, I had read some Ayn Rand a long time ago. Um, I read Anthem, and I, I was kind of impressed with Anthem. I thought that was kind of a clever little twist, but I didn't. Uh, it didn't turn into be some sort of life changing book. It was just a cute story. Yeah, uh, I tried uh, Atlas Shrugged, 
it just it was it was a lot to, to get through and I had other things to get through so I stopped that. <laughs> it is a lot to get through. <laughs> it's a bit it's a stinking big book, man. I, I audiobook so, everything, so I actually <laughs> just finished that one probably a month or two ago. And it was like what fifty some hours long. It was, it was a lot of yeah, lot that's of a, that's a I, tape, I, I'm so. lucky in that I have a job where I can wear headphones most of the day, so it it, it took me a week or two to finish. I was going to say, it was still like at least a week. But I couldn't, I still had my podcasts to get through too, and there's a lot of, <laughs> <laughs> so, so it took me well, a while. Yeah, so the, so Thomas podcasts, like every other little rabbit hole there is in libertarianism, led to other podcasts, and so I've, I've got, uh, if there's a dozen, it's few. Uh, podcast and so this so tom was the gateway to all of this and and my own particular uh rabbit hole is to learn a little bit about economics but n- there are people in the in the inner uh who are friends of tom's who know far more about economics than i do or probably ever will um i'm always been a little more interested in the history side hmm. of how this works and so I tend to lean toward people like Brian McClanahan and Kevin for the history part, even though I find the economics interesting. I just don't speak economics, even though I'm fine. <laughs> uh, well, sorry, and, you know. and to be fair, it's not like he doesn't have a couple college professors in that group. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, yeah, there are a few. <laughs> yeah, I, I always find that amusing. Like, you're in that group and, like, you're talking to some. Joe Schmo dickhead down in Florida, and then the next guy who chimes in is some e- some economics professor <laughs> from Tennessee or some yeah, shit. Yeah, well, yeah, the exposure to intelligent people is pretty impressive. Um, all right, so you, much like everybody else we've talked to, who ha- there's there's basically there's two ways that people find this in in my experience. Like <laughs> they either have some Ron Paul moment, usually the Giuliani moment. They, a lot of people share that. Or just some insanely twisty path that doesn't make any sense, which is how I found my way here. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those rare lefties that found their way to libertarianism. Um, but so now that you're here, uh, why would uh, other libertarians know who you are? What's, what's your little contribution you're trying to make? Well, my little contribution is through my blog, which was started at the almost seemingly insistence of Tom Woods and his ads for little start your blog today, start your blog today. Okay, 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 <laughs> I'll do it, I'll do it, leave me alone. Um, so, in the, if you want to hear something funny, funny uh, I, 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 there's a, a guy, you know Kevin Geary at all? He's been on Tom's show. Um <laughs> he has a review for his uh his podcast and the review is Tom Woods has been trying for 3 years to get me to buy something it took Kevin two episodes <laughs> well yeah i was pretty that, pretty happy about either it either speaks very badly about Tom which i don't think is the it, case it's but not. it must be very well, no, well what it does, it speaks to, is that it, in both cases, and they'll both tell you this, it's about voice. Yeah. You're not going to speak to everybody. It's about speaking to the people that you can speak to. And Kevin, for whatever reason, just his technique worked on me. Like, I, I love and respect Tom, but at the end of the day, 
It's just something, I don't know. I don't think, I don't know, maybe I'll buy something from him someday. That day hasn't come. You know, not excited about it. <laughs> so. Well, I think that there's there's a valid point to be made about voice. And so uh, the answer to your question about the contribution is uh, the, the door in is with food. Because the thing that I know is is food. Both the, you know, in, in the food world, there's two sides of food. Well, there's more. But basically, there's the baking side. Mm-hmm. And then there's the cooking side. And even though they both have... Uh, ingredients and heat, the processes and the procedures aren't the same, so they're divided because line cooks, they could be the best line cook on the planet. Many of them, if you ask them to make a biscuit, will, uh, I'd rather change, <laughs> I'd rather pull the engine out of a car yeah. what are your thoughts than on this make list? a biscuit. Yeah, absolutely. And... I, I'm laughing because I'm literally the opposite of that. I, I can bake my butt off, but like, Ask me to make eggs, and it's a toss-up. <laughs> so, I'm the one that handles the grill. We'll just say that. That's not an uncommon experience between bakers to cooking and cooks to baking. Yeah. Uh, as it happens, I can do both. So ah. I've, I've been executive chef. I've run you know the, the hotline through crazy amounts of service, but I can also go into the bake shop and I can I can make the bread that you want i can make a sourdough bread i can make a puff pastry in danish and croissants um biscuits in danish and i said that and muffins so it gives me a lot of opportunity to teach people who think that they can't do this and Hmm. i've even in professional kitchens between those two disciplines and you two have just observed that even without professional cooks there's a lot of people there are a lot of people who think I can't do that. Yeah. And, you know, the, the movie Ratatouille, it's kind of cute. And it's I, I love the ending, the very Proustian moment at the end. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But there's a really good message that anybody can bake, anybody can cook. Mm. Now, not anybody can do those things for a three-star <laughs> Michelin restaurant. Right. But that's not really the goal. The goal, as far as I'm concerned, really is can you make something to feed your family and the people that you love that are going to say, wow, nice job. Thanks a lot. To me, that's cooking in a restaurant is fine, but cooking for your family is, I think, fundamentally more important. And making something that is a challenge and then doing it well. And then feeling a little bit of confidence to say, you know what, let me try something a little bit more challenging. Getting some basic skills down to accomplish cooking at home, I, I think that's a win for everybody. Well, and what's funny is, because I'm sure Liz can attest to this, when we first got together, there are diametrically opposed viewpoints on food <laughs> between our, our upbringings. Like, I, I grew up in a, an Italian family, and... Let's just say food was fairly important to us and being able to cook good and have good food out there. There was perhaps less of an, a, a, uh, an importance in the food world for her and her upbringing. Yeah, food was a utility in my upbringing. <laughs> so there. So there was a, a learning curve when we first got together and like, well, these are the expectations I have about food. I'm like, well, I don't know how to do any of those things. <laughs> 
but but yeah, the point remains is that like it it is a very important part to of uh, people's lives. Um, so good on you for teaching people how to how to do that. Where were you, you know, six six or seven years ago when we got together? <laughs> and I could have just sent it um, somewhere in Florida. <laughs> there you go, Tallahassee. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. You, you say you're sorry about Ohio. I think he's okay Ohio. with Florida. I, I Ugh, really do. Gross. He's, he seems like he's cool with it. Nah, that, fuck that whole state. Uh, you know, well... <laughs> Let it fall in the ocean. The, the thing I like about Florida... Florida I, 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 have lots of, I have lots of positive things in my own personal life that happened in Florida. I was there for a long time, so I don't really bear the state any ill will. But one of the things that Florida has that I really like is hot mm. now yeah. i grew up in northern michigan so i know what 220 inches of snow looks like in the middle of july <laughs> there's a joke part there and that would be the stone july part's a joke not 220 inches but um one time it actually did snow on the fourth of july in the Upper peninsula so hey welcome to michigan don't wow. let the weather wait 10 minutes yeah i'm from upstate um, new york boss and everything you're telling me just makes me feel all warm and cozy inside <laughs> i miss the snow i wish it snowed when um, i was a kid yeah, we're going to get it here in Oregon, but I I know how to live in it. I know how to stay warm in it, but I'm perfectly fine with 90 degrees and 90% humidity. No problem. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hated Florida because, and just for the record, I, I was born in Florida. I, I'm, I have earned my hatred. Like, <laughs> But how does it rain every day like clockwork, and yet the dry, ground is dry and crispy? I don't know. I don't get it. I mean, I understand. I, don't know the science, the answer to that. I understand it scientifically, but why would God create any place like that? So I neither like Florida nor believe in God over this whole thing. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, why would he do that? It can't wah, be real. Wah. Okay. <laughs> so all right, we 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 spend a fair amount of time on the the person stuff. So let's let's move along to the things that I care about, which is the music. Um. So, how would you classify your musical tastes? Well, I can... So, <laughs> I would say... I, I have a broader ability to appreciate a wide variety of kinds of music. Um, I'm not entirely convinced that country and or western is actually a kind of music. <laughs> but a mooch. <laughs> Uh, no, I, that's 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 a slam. Not, I mean, to be you know whatever, silly. Own it, um, man. Just own it. I was born downtown Detroit in the '60s, so Motown was one of the very first kinds of music I was exposed to, as well as the Beatles. So, if if we are to believe Pulp Fiction that you are either an Elvis man or a Beatles man, I am Beatles all the way with a tremendous amount of Motown, Diana and Aretha, and the, just that entire Barry Gordy experience, uh, which went into just what I would call rock and roll. Um, because my job for many, many years kept me in the kitchen where we didn't allow music, uh. for me, music pretty much ended in the mid-'80s. I knew there was some, but after about 83, when I graduated high school, um, Back in Black was in the cassette tape player for about 15 years. And then it turned into a CD disc. Um, ACDC and Kiss are my favorite bands. I listen to lots of other things, but 
that's I'm I'm a headbanger at heart. Hmm. Okay, cool. Is that like a a French school thing? You know, music in the kitchen. Probably so, um, but it, it's also it. If you're in and if you're in a sort of a low level quality f- kitchen mm-hmm. where focus on the product isn't the prime concern, then they're probably going to have music. I'm making some very, very broad generalizations here. The finer establishments where it's important to A, concentrate on what you're doing, B, listen to the chef tell you what's happening, what's going on. They're not going to allow music because it takes the cooks out of their head. Ah, so okay. you listen to some song and then you remember the girl that you remember about the song and the place where you remember the girl about the song <laughs> and then you're not attending to the plates. Right. And when people are spending $300 per person per meal, that is not something that can happen. That makes sense. I, so Interesting. <laughs> well, no, because I, I, I worked in a, a three-star place for a little while and uh, they listened to music, but it was also a very, very small operation. Like our entire kitchen, I think might have been five or six guys. So, and it was also a, a very particular. It was a Taiwan Taiwanese restaurant. So there's that. Well, I my observations are clearly there's just you know, generalizations. I can't you know account for everything, but uh, in my experience, <laughs> that's been the case. That there's just. Yeah, no, I, I mean, no it makes music. sense to me. I, and, and like I said, I've only ever worked in one place that was like that. When I was a line cook, it was a fucking Cracker Barrel. And <laughs> trust me, none, none of that was high end anything. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, Cracker Barrel can sling some hash. Mm-hmm. I've slang some hash, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, all right. So, where, do you, where, are we, where are we heading to next with this, Liz? What do you think? Uh, well, we could talk about how music fits into your life. Does music fit into your life? Uh, it sounds like you... for a while it didn't. Yeah. It, well, for a long time, it did not. That's true. And for a long time, I was neither a parent nor a husband. Uh, that changed almost 12 years ago for the child part, longer than that for the husband part. But I, honest to God, I have no idea how long I've been married. Aww. And she knows that. So, yeah. Sorry, that's how it goes. Well, no, that that's um, kind of sweet. My my brother was always this is an interesting thing, just kind of curiosity to me. He was always one step ahead of even the most current cutting edge music, hmm. and I don't know how he found it, but he was always, always, always pushing the envelope of his own experiences, and uh, he found a band called Radiohead, which I have tried and tried and tried, and I just don't see the appeal. Aw. Good I don't, for you. I mean, I've tried again, but I don't see the appeal. Now, good for you. Um, they had so, a couple good albums. That's it. You're, they, you're better off. They've got a huge fan base, and that's fine. <laughs> and and those, uh, I've never once heard a single note of a band called Fish. Uh, I thought the band Grateful Dead did... Uh, I've listened to the Grateful Dead, but I would, I would never travel to go see them if they were across the street. Um, but now my kids well the 12 year old listens to Taylor and a bunch of other people who's as far as I'm concerned they're all the same person with different names Mm 
<laughs> but now I yeah, want to get of. so <clears throat> YouTube music has this I can I can call up anything that I want. So one of the fun things in my house is when my <laughs> my kids can say any word or any phrase and almost always I can f- find that word in the lyric to a song and it drives them crazy because <laughs> they can't see anything that I can't turn into a song. So then I will go find the song on YouTube music because I want them to at least have some knowledge that the music from my childhood, 60s and 70s and 80s, was there. So they're getting this exposure. So we listen to, I'll play them an appropriate Kiss or ACDC song, but really they go, we're going to, we get Queen. They, my, my six-year-old loves bicycle races. It's just the bicycle song. She wants to hear it. Um, they have, in fact, my, the, the 12-year-old won, uh, won $5 on a bet at summer camp uh, when the counselor asked, uh, what bands did the music, the song Bohemian Rhapsody, and who was the lead singer? And she knew both of those answers and got five bucks. Well, you're doing good by your kid, in my opinion, then. <laughs> well, you know, how do you go wrong with Queen? So, so I'm. The music is coming back to me for them in some way to at least fill in the musical backstory to their lives through my life and they and they like it they're both like oh i want to hear that song again so i say, absolutely you want some more 80s head rock let's go <laughs> awesome yeah, i like that's that pretty cool um now i, I once again based on what I, you've said about your life I, I i'm curious about this answer um have you been to many shows if you have, what would be the best one you've ever seen? But I'm kind of wondering if you've even been to many. I went to, there was a point in the mid-80s, I went to quite a few. Okay. I thought, so I went, my, well, before my brother had the ability to find his own music, I took him and a bunch of his friends. We drove down to Detroit to Cobo Hall to see Rat Poison. Mm. which was an absolutely atrocious show. <laughs> this is oh. terrible. <clears throat> I mean, Poison was fine, and then they had their 15 minutes, and that was great. Uh, but that was an awful show. We saw, um, saw Tesla open, I think, for David Lee, and that was maybe the worst opening band I've ever seen. They were just, I mean, the bass player's pants were falling down. They were just awful. Um, the David Lee show was fantastic. I love that. That was, uh, Stevie Vai was on guitar and mm-hmm. I mean, it was bright. It was lit fabulously. It was just, it was an excellent show. Everything I could have wanted. Uh, saw ACDC in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And when Angus rides the shoulder of the stagehand was about 10 feet away. Oh, wow. Uh, that was kind of cool. Yeah. I, Pure luck. I had no idea where to stand, but I got lucky. Nice. Um, <laughs> then, then couches got really expensive. Mm. So I and that I, they did. I can't afford. I mean, I, I had a chance to see Kiss in Orlando a few years ago, but the, I was like, the tishes, tickets were unapproachable. There was just no way possible. I was going to say probably about one hundred and fifty, two hundred a piece. 
Yeah. And I, I was like, wait a minute. I mean, come on. I saw ACDC for 20 bucks. Just for the record, <laughs> this is the record. Kiss has been holding final tours since I was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> it's been about 20 years. Is that like. Well, so. Let me segue for one funny second here. When uh, in Tallahassee, we had, I was hired as uh, the executive chef for a renovated restaurant. <clears throat> they redid the whole inside, uh, excavated a bunch, and renamed it. So we were going to open officially like, like five days before Valentine's Day, which is just insane. Mm. And legislative session special weeks are in progress in Tallahassee, and we're a block away from the Capitol, so we're going to get creamed from the lobbyists. Wow. And that was Cher's first farewell tour. So our opening day, we were just like someone dropped a bomb. It was like Yemen. Boom. Oh, yes. wow. <laughs> well, next year, she came by for her farewell tour part two. <laughs> So yeah, I understand the whole farewell tour, you know, uh, ad infinitum. But um, twenty years though, like they've been doing it for twenty years. I mean, Ozzy's doing the same thing. Like I, he's got a new well, farewell tour every three or four, doesn't he? I mean, as long as the the gimmick still works, right? I guess I don't know how it's still working at this point. Like, it's not even like the show's. Well, you know, there. they're they're getting on. They're all gonna, at any given moment, they're gonna just fall over dead. <laughs> So you always want to be able to say, I was at the last no, show, I, the I, real last show. I believe Gene Simmons like paid paid God to stay around. <laughs> like he's Well, you know, I watched the I, I watched the entire season of Family Jewels, all of them. Oh God. Ugh. One of the things that's Ugh. really impressive I, I like Gene. I mean <clears throat> from not just in their early years in the seventies, oh, I was a kid when they came through my little town of Tallahassee of Traverse City. I mean I remember seeing those little Twenty four by fourteen window cards for the band and and people were putting them in the storefronts rather unwillingly because look at the faces. This is you know, you thought Alice Cooper was bad. Look at these guys. They eat your children for breakfast. And <laughs> yeah, just a fab so from a standpoint of the mythology, selling tickets and making the band known. I don't know if you can plan that. I don't think that you can, but I wouldn't put it past Gene to have done that. Well, have you ever and, listened to Gene talk about the whole like the whole plan behind Kiss? Now he could just be making it up after the fact, but I mean, from day one, his goal was to be bigger than the Beatles. Oh no, I heard that. Yeah, like he, he, I've, I've I've watched a couple documentaries on it because, well, I think he's a prick. I also think he's a fascinating prick. <laughs> like, well, I think he's a business genius. I mean, just, yes, and fantastic. What seven languages? That's, I mean, I struggle with two or three, and mostly even with English. I mean, that's my, that's, I mean, he's, he's an impressive individual on lots of levels. He carries, I think, a lot of the foibles that intelligent people carry with them, unfortunately. Well, that could be, but. So. Folks, it is with a somber heart and fierce fandom, I still support the Wolverines. I would have preferred a different outcome, but alas. But the end of college regular football season brings bowl games. If you are an NCAA fan or NFL or NBA fan, click my affiliate link, culinarylibertarian.com slash football to find the best deals on team banners, jerseys, t-shirts, 
or the aptly named ugly sweaters. Oof! But, you know, ugly in a good way. Grab your gear for yourself or your super fan and get ready for bowl game weekend. I miss Keith Jackson. I'll be cheering on the Wolverines, of course, and happily yelling at the TV, Go Tigers! Click over to com slash football and save up to 20% off your order. See the website for details. com slash football. Now, let's get back into the show. Interesting. I'm curious. Have you ever watched the movie Detroit Rock City? I have. I'm, I'm curious <laughs> about your opinion on that movie because it sounds like you would have probably been about that age at about that time. Uh, it, yeah, it is. And so I, I, well, so this is an interesting question about me and movies. And so I, I have the particular ability to separate myself from the fiction of the movie and enjoy it just as a fiction of a movie, no matter how ridiculous it gets. Okay. And, 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 and so I don't find them. <laughs> he's like, I'm not looking, I'm way. not looking for accuracy is what he's saying. <laughs> well, I, I, I found it interesting. I, I can appreciate. So this is the thing. I would never have done that. Mm. I, there was, Hmm. I'm just trying to think if that's actually true because that's a it's a powerful statement to say I would never do a thing. Um, I'm, I'm trying to find a way in my own head to, well, to, to logically Im- invalidate that. It's just immediately but, when you start saying Cobo Hall, and I'm, that's that's literally why I know of Cobo Hall's existence is because of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, so yeah, uh, it, it's an interesting place. Jay Giles, it's their. Well, when they were a band, it was their favorite venue of all places. Jay Giles um, still tours, man. Jay Giles still tours. I think Peter Wolf is gone, and Jay is uh, one of them died. <laughs> um, I think you know. So I think the I forgot what year it was, but the Kiss Live was Cobo Hall, and they they love Cobo. I don't know what it is because it's a really crappy venue, but <laughs> Detroit. And maybe this is the music thing, and, and so I'm sure someone has wrote a book, written a book about this, but there's something about music and Detroit and fans mm. that I think bands just love. I mean, uh, when Van Halen was still Van Halen and not Van Hagar, they came through Detroit. Again, uh, tickets I couldn't afford, but... <laughs> well, I mean, you know the answer is to this, right? It's a shitty place. It is a shitty place, but there's that's why that's why music is so important. It's how you get through life in a shitty place. Oh. It's just just how it is. It's the same place anyway. Any like, look at like look at all of the terrible neighborhoods in every major city, and music thrives in them. Look at Harlem through like the the Depression era prior to that. Like music always thrives in places where people need to escape from reality and. I can't think of any place more than Detroit right now where they need to escape from reality. I'll tell you well, that you know, I, so I've, I've still got relatives. I've still got family there. And it's, it's you know, Stephen Crowder makes it an easy thing to kick while it's down. And certainly Detroit certainly has lots of problems they're still trying to work through. But they're, they are working really hard at bringing the city back. 
And when my cousins, they talk to me, I say, tell me the truth. What's going on in Detroit? Says so you wouldn't recognize how beautiful it is. Hmm. So there are, like every other place, there are places in any city you shouldn't be caught if you don't have any business there. And well, when I, I was mean, in New York, there are places <laughs> sure. there are places in the 80s you don't go, Yeah. no matter what. If you don't have business there, keep your ass out. Yeah. But there are lots of parts of New York, lots of parts of Detroit that are vibrant and lovely places to go. And, oh, no, and, I don't doubt that. So, I mean, for me, I, I take this as a, as a framing, however. I don't know anything about Steven Crowder and his views of Detroit. What I know is that since I saw RoboCop when I was a kid, <laughs> it has been the terrible, most awful city in America. Ah, I see. So literally my entire life, it has been the brunt of every most terrible city in America joke. I mean, and since you, true. you ended up in Cleveland, <laughs> and, uh, that's and by saying the way, something. Yeah, just, just the record, like... I I realize that every city out there, there's culture, there's everything that you could want, um, but there are also places. Technically, like, it's from what I understand that like I live the city I live in, Cleveland, is one of the most segregated cities in the country. And as a guy who drives around in a truck all day working on stuff, I can tell you that's absolutely correct. I can literally show you like streets where this, after this street we're now going to be in the mexican part of town and after this street we enter black section and here's where the asians are and these are the white poor people here's where the jews are <laughs> like, it's it's pretty intense like how cities can be stratified like that so well so i think now i don't I, i'm i'm very I know who Hans is, and I've listened to some of Hans's speeches, and I've read some of uh, a few uh, parts of Hans's books. I assume we're talking but Triple it, H. We are. Okay. It seems to me, based just on that anecdotal observation, that that's almost what you would want. Hmm. Well, at the very least, you want that people you have in the same a culture. neighborhood. Yeah, you have communities of like minded or like cultured individuals who share an understanding of this is how life on this block works mm-hmm. across the street it might be different now i don't know anything about cleveland i don't know if there's violence between um, blocks of different cultured communities i have no idea but mm, not anymore it, ex- <laughs> it only I, I'm not convinced that just be, and then you didn't say this. I'm not putting words in your mouth, but mm-hmm. I think I, I don't think that just by the fact of there being different communities and different blocks, I don't find that inherently be a bad thing. I, I, that sounds like a desirable thing to me. So that when you cross the street, you know that this is I'm going into the Jewish section or the Mexican section or whatever there is, um, just for the understanding that that's the case. Oh, no, and see, and I think race might be a stupid identifier, <laughs> personally, um, but the but the point I absolutely remains, and this is where why I do, I don't, much like some people, get up in Hop's case, because I think ultimately his point is that you want people that have a, a, a common culture and a common way of thinking. I don't think race is the best way to do that, but it is a way to perhaps do that, um, so, but, but yeah, once again, like it, it's, I think that was bringing it back to the whole idea of Detroit. 
Yeah, and it's, it's I just a place. Place. I'm not trying to dump on Detroit. I just think it's funny. No, no, that's well. I mean, it's all right. Everyone does. So, if you, I, I was, I think I was not quite born in the race riots. Hmm. So back in one of the the famous um, projects, uh, the Brewster Douglas projects, and that's where Diana Ross was born mm-hmm. in downtown Detroit. And I don't. I'm not a history major of Detroit by any means, so I don't really know much about how or why the race rights happened. I just know that they did. Yeah. Um, I think those those kinds of tensions have existed for a long time, and and we're not going to fix that on on this show. Um, <laughs> I don't. But, but there's. I don't know. Well, I think we actually it, gone it, a long way to fix a lot of that, and now we're trying to undo it this point if i haven't actually pointed out uh, part of the reasons why i i think hans's ideas are not necessarily the best way to do things is because i happen to have a beautiful black woman sitting next to me right now it's the love of my life and to think that a strict racial stratification would keep us apart would uh, bother me immensely and and i wouldn't have my beautiful daughter so i'm uh, i'm biased in this one particularly (laughs) well I, I'm glad you found the love of your life. That's that's worth having. <laughs> and I mean, you know, the biggest thing is like my family wasn't comfortable in that part of town. And I think if people are allowed to, you know, choose who they associate with, uh, fancy that idea. Um, then, yeah, you probably are going to end up with communities of like minded people who may share the same race. Yeah, and I've always, you're going to end often, up with outliers like me who end up somewhere else. Well, and I've often brought it up that like for me, like I, I have a fairly good idea that me and Tom Woods are not going to be in the same neighborhood in those covenant communities. In, in Ancapistan? Yes, in, in Ancapistan, we will not be in the same communities. And I don't have a problem with that. I respect, you know, his, his worldview and his way of doing things. I am definitely a little bit more out there personally. But I think that's the whole point. That was always, to me, the best part about libertarianism is that you can have somebody like a Tom Woods that is more of a conservative you know, type person and someone like me who just, that's not the way I came at things to end up where I ended up. But the, the idea being that I, it's not up to me to dictate how you live your life. All we want to do is try and set up a way of a way of interacting with each other in which we can live our lives. <clears throat> well, and taking that as the first principle, I'm as I read, and granted, my my knowledge is low. Uh, I as I read Hop, that would be fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, absolutely. That race alone is is not the dictating tenet or characteristic of who should get along. Well, now, as I'm involved with the Mises Caucus, so we get people that dump on us about Hop all the time. And I guess that's my point, is that I never got the impression that Hop was talking about that. I I think people read into it that, that, because that's what they want to read into it. But I think it really had more to do with just like-minded people being around other like-minded people. Well, that's how I read it. So you, are you, I'll ask you the question so I won't answer for you. Are you suggesting that some of those readers oh, he gets are picked up by projecting their own? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I mean, and I'll be the well, first to that say... I think that's a fair criticism. I, I will absolutely say that even within the Tom Woods community, I've definitely 
there are people within there that I do not agree with. And while I will not block them because I don't feel the need to block them, I do see them in conversations and just want to shake my head and like, really, that's what you got out of that whole thing. That's that's how you see this working out. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, buddy. Like you're you're clinging to something that I don't think is going to do anyone any good. It's the same hate that like they they're trying to make other people have. And frankly, I think they've done a good job at making other people have that hate at this point. Like I think that I think that yeah, the, I think the, there's. I think the rise in left wing identitarianism is. Uh, is the same thing as the rise in right wing identitarianism. I, I think I think the whole thing is just a bad idea personally, but collectivism is a bad idea. And that's all it is, is the worst kind of collectivism. I'm not even sure how yeah. we ended up down this path though. <laughs> I don't know. I t- I t- um, I'm going to be honest. Were... I tend to get down the race path often. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's take it back well, here. Um, where which one were we on? A soundtrack moment. Oh, okay. So you've you've talked about music with your kids in particular, and mm-hmm. um, is there like a particular song uh, or you know an album that you have a particular memory with? The, basically, do you have a song that oh, you have a memory associated with? Maybe meeting your wife, you think of this song, or you hear this song and it immediately transports you to this moment that you have with somebody else or this time period in your life. Uh, is there anything that like, comes to mind in that? Yes. There, there's, ACDC in general has been sort of the soundtrack of my adult life. But one song in particular, and so the setting was in Sarasota, Florida on Mother's Day weekend at this particular restaurant, which actually had pretty good food, and then they had a bar upstairs. Well, as you probably could imagine, a Mother's Day Sunday at a bar wasn't overly busy. <laughs> Amazing. So I, I happened to run into the band around the corner and said, wow, hey, you know, just just for entertainment's sake, just for humor, just humor me, would you guys be willing to play a couple of ACDC songs and if you let me sing? Thursday, <laughs> Sunday, why not? We're game. So um, they started their session. I was like, ah, I want to bring a, bring a fellow up. So me and my mom, my mom and I, are in the bar, and there's, I don't know, a dozen or so people, and I sing Highway to Hell. Nice. <laughs> no, I don't know if I did a good job, but I had a, I had a blast doing it. I, I don't really think it's did. important. I, if you I did. had. A... <laughs> What's that? I said I don't think it's important if you did a good job. That's a hell of a story. No, probably not. How, how could you tell? Right. Yeah. Um. So and then we we tried and I got then I got nervous. I succeeded at that and then tried to do <laughs> back in black and um you shook me on that long which, on any given day I know backwards but suddenly now i'm nervous and self-conscious and i can't remember the words but anyway so still when when i hear it somewhere on megamind or something else that we're watching or listening to i hear it i hear a high with a house immediately and back to 84 85 sarasota with that weekend with my mom and 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 that's that's always, I just kind of smile inside, just thinking about it. That's awesome. That's, that's, that's great. That's story. honestly probably one of the better stories I've heard <laughs> in that question. 
Well, it's um, good to know that ACDC is in kids' movies still. That's awesome. No, ACDC is going to be in movies forever because the licensing on it's easy. <laughs> They'll sell that to anyone who wants it. There you go. That's in keeping with their personalities for sure. Um, all right. So I think we're up to, to up to the big one, right, Liz? The big question. The big question. So if you had five records or songs or playlists or however you choose to do this, because everyone chooses to do it a little bit different based on their own <laughs> listening styles. What would be five pieces of music that you would recommend people go out and listen to? doesn't have to be your favorite, just things that you think people should hear. Hmm. So I, I on purpose, didn't listen to your show because I, I didn't want to anticipate the questions. I wanted ah. authentic answers. <laughs> and... So I'm, I'm struggling a little bit to think of some of the names. So there was, uh, I, I spent a little period of time really getting into classical music. Um, and so there's a couple of versions of, this is kind of a boring answer, but um, uh, the Vivaldi's Four Seasons, except I think the guy's name was Kennedy, who kind of made the classical world really upset by by really stepping out of what Vivaldi had written, still following the notes, but really changing it up and being very iconoclastic with it. And that was kind of cool. That so is that not a boring answer for the record. One selection. And, um, <laughs> I think, you know, I think Edie Gourmet and Steve Lawrence hmm. would be, because it's, there's, as a duo, they are fantastic to but there's just the the whole timber of the music that it just is like wow this is really great stuff. It has and, nothing um, to do with gourmet being in the name. No, not a word. Not a thing. <laughs> uh, it has to do with just getting into the, a, a nice. I like it. it's good music. It's easy to listen to and it's timeless. It doesn't. It just it's good. It's good nice music. Um, I, th- I think we've got to have some fairly modern representation, and I would probably go with something from Queen. Nice. Um, and maybe, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody would be everyone's first go-to, but and and this it's a spectacular piece. Um, would be mine, but I kind of like. Killer Queen a little bit more just because it's a little bit more fun. Okay. <laughs> nice. Um, um, let's see. There's some early, like, uh, Jailbreak 74, which was an almost unknown album with, uh, with uh, Bon Scott. I think that's, or Power Ridge. Um, one of the early albums, I think that's some of Angus's best work because it's still kind of raw and you sort of hear the hunger in the music. This band desperately wants to really hit it big. Yeah. And of course they did, but I, I think there's there's a bluesierness and a and a more aggressiveness to the blues, which sort of seems in, uh, inconsistent. Uh, I think Power Ridge doesn't have any great hits on it, but it's an. I think it's a good album. Here's a question um, for you. So I think that would probably be it. It's, yes. a, it's, it's an important question, too. So, Brian or Bon? Oh. 
I met Brian. Got his autograph on a jacket. Bon Scott. <laughs> He's like, that said, still Bon Scott. Scott a commentary on Brian. He was a, he was a fine chap, but Bon was something. I, uh, I'm going to I'm going to use an answer which will tie into the current political scene pretty pretty conveniently. I am an originalist. Okay. Yeah, you, I mean, if, I know you made the van... other way around. <laughs> oh yeah, no, Van Hager doesn't exist. As far as I'm concerned, that's nothing. That's, that's an abomination. Look, I, I from hell it came. I I I personally like both. I do, however, make very clear there is a fucking distinction between the two. Not the they same are not band. the same band. No. Not even close. They are not the same band. And then, but but part of that disdain. Uh, goes with my disdain for Sammy Hagar, with the notable exception, I will grant him Montrose, but everything after that, it's just useless. I have no use <laughs> for it. It's just awful. Nice. That's hilarious. Um, I think we probably need to do something from the Barry Gordy, Barry Gordy reign, and I would have to probably pick, uh, without knowing any one particular song, probably Aretha. Aretha? All right. That's over Diana Ross. Okay. Um, well, you know what's uh, funny about this? You may not know this, but maybe you do. So you know the band LMFAO that had that big hit Party Rockin' back in the day? Um, you know, Sexy and I Know It? I know that song. I knew nothing about the rest of it. Okay. Well, here's <laughs> the thing. So that, that the, the, the musicians, LMFAO, that make up that uh, are both Barry Gordy's nephews. Uh, that I didn't know. So it's to me it was That's, always it was always like oh I get why this is popular like you happen to be related to one of the greatest producers of all time no wonder you get a leg up there yeah well yeah or or both of them anyway <laughs> yeah that that'll do it so yeah it was always fascinating to me but well it is oftentimes who you know not what you know yeah. oh no it is always who you know not what you know I'll stand by that at least in the world you can meet people and then you can know the people that you need to know. Um, right. Awesome, man. Well, it's been a fun conversation. Uh, you want to throw out some links and stuff so that we, uh, our, our guests can know where to look you up and go check out what you do. Yes, everything can be found at culinarylibertarian.com. And there, there will be uh, at the top uh, menu tabs for the podcast and for my affiliates and for all the recipes that I have online. And you can... Listen to my podcasts while you're baking muffins. What's your uh, What's your favorite recipe you have up online? I'm curious. Hmm. That's, that's parenthetically. Tough. I'm going to make Liz make it. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, so well, if that's the case, so it depends what you want. So it's, I have dessert things and I have savory things. Hmm. So I'm going to give you one of each. Okay. Um, probably the the favorite. Easy one to do would be called Charlie Bread, okay. which is a my wife's grandmother's version of cornbread, Ooh. but it's it's got a couple of little twists to it, and it truly is just spectacular. Uh, you do need it's it's best with a cast iron pan. Gotcha. Uh, and then my favorite cake, which is ridiculously easy to make, and it has it's. It's a cake, but it doesn't have any of the standard cake procedures. So my six-year-old could make it. It's that easy. Interesting. It's called chocolate tea cake. Um, I bake Ooh. it in a bundt pan, 
but you can make it into rounds. You can make it into the squares and the sheets. It's super versatile and it's well, it's just that good. Oh, that um, sounds delightful. So here is an interesting thing. I put a post up um, maybe a year ago for garlic sausage. Uh, now making sausage and stuffing it yourself at home, it's. It's a it's an irksome thing to do. It requires a fair amount of specialized equipment. You mm. need a sausage stuffing machine, and you don't do anything else with it. So they aren't altogether cheap, and you, if you don't do that, there's no reason to have it. Mm-hmm. Of all of the recipes I have, that's the one that almost every single day, it gets at least one click. Really? And I couldn't begin to tell you why. That's impressive. It's amazing. It's the most popular recipe. It's the hardest one to do. That means good SEO is what that means. <laughs> you find out what you did right on that page. Uh, man, that's a good idea. I'm going to go take a look. I have no idea. But that's right. that's an interesting observation that eluded me. So now I have to go check. <laughs> All right, Dan. Well, hey, man, it's been a, a great conversation. And hope you have a good day. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So you have a good one, boss. Thank you. You too. All right, folks, that's going to do it. As it is Cyber Monday, there is still time to take advantage of this very time-sensitive offer of the Black Friday Cyber Monday deals with my affiliates at com slash Friday. There's still time to take advantage of the Tom Woods Liberty Classroom Super Deal on the Lifetime Membership or courses from Brian McClanahan's Academy, and there's also, of course, wine and cheese options or an Amazon choice. Find ideas for your Cyber Monday savings at com slash Friday. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.